Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, September 11th, 2023. On the show today, news, surveys, and listener questions. Then in our main segment, Jim talks about the history of the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, which opened this week in 2007. Let's get started by bringing in the man who teaches the concept of ominous positivity through motivational sayings like, you'll be fine, there's no other choice. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It's going well, Len. And I, I, I know that people may not be familiar with that concept. I mean, there's a lot of students out there of Dale Carnegie and his How to Win Friends and Influence People. I, on the other hand, studied under Dale's less popular, more socially awkward brother, Arlo. You may know the book he wrote, How to Stand Awkwardly in the Corner at Parties and Pretend to be Invisible. Oh, yeah. I saw the movie adaptation. Fantastic. Yeah. There we yeah. go. It's kind of dark, though. But. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. I would say a, a, a noir, right? Like a kind there of, yeah, we go. Like a dark, dark. Ooh, there's noir, and then there's noir. But okay. <laughs> All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Tim Gannon, Jonathan Pop, Dave Prosser, and Mastin Step, and the longtime subscribers, Garland Cox, Jason Holmberg, Reagan One, and Alan678739. Jim, these are the Animal Kingdom cast members working to make it easier for guests to remember all the different wonderful wildlife they see during their park visit. Soon, the Animal Kingdom signs will change from showing the animals' scientific names to showing the kinds of designer handbags you could make from them instead. For example, the park currently identifies the rhinoceros iguana with the scientific name Cyclura cornuta cornuta. And the new signs will read 35 centimeter Birkin in gray clamants. Oh. True story. Wow. And remember, you know, those of you who work in the ASBCA, that's yeah. Len Kessler. Emails to Len at there, Touring Plans. There we go. Wow. Okay. And before we get to the news, uh, I don't want to forget this. Jim and I have been working with Imagineer Jim Scholl for almost two years on a new video series that explains how your favorite Disney attractions got built. Jim Shola was the executive creative director of Walt Disney Imagineering, and he has tons of never-before-seen photos and video from Disney attractions as they went from concept sketches to artist renderings to steel and concrete. The show is called Disney Unpacked. It comes out later this year, and you can see a preview of it on YouTube at youtube.com slash at Disney Unpacked. All right, folks. Time for the news. The news is sponsored by Touring Plans Travel Agency. Yes, we have a travel agency too, and we can help you book your next trip. Plus, it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com slash dish. All right, Jim, first big uh, piece of news, and this was delayed a week, mm -hmm. is that Disney's announced some details on its newest Disney Cruise Line ship, the Treasure. And the stuff we learned here, let's go over the basics real quick. Mm -hmm. Seven-night Eastern and Western Caribbean itineraries. And the interesting thing there is that's one of the primary itineraries of the Disney fantasy yeah. right now. So it'll be mm -hmm. interesting to see what they do with the fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Also, bookings start tomorrow for Castaway Club members. So tomorrow is September 12th. And then it's September 20th for the general public. The interesting thing, Jim, have you seen what the sample itinerary rates are? 
Well, you know, there can only be one, you know, maiden voyage, inaugural cruise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Woof. Yeah, it's interesting that they show, you know, because, I mean, Disney does an international clientele, right? So they have to show mm-hmm. the prices in various denominations of currency, right? U.S. dollars, Canadian dollars, mm-hmm. you know, British pounds. This is interesting in that they try and translate all of that into body parts that you need. <laughs> Like, okay, I recognize the arm, the leg. I think that's a spleen if you yeah, want a veranda. Yeah, All right. But anyway, just to put just put U.S. dollars in here. An inside stateroom with no windows. The smallest cabin on the ship for the inaugural seven-night cruise, mm-hmm. $8,800. Yeah. If you actually wanted to see the ocean, mm-hmm. it's $9,400. Hmm. Again, I mean, that works out to be like, what, $1,500 a night. Uh, you know, you can rationalize it. Okay. A number of different ways. Mm-hmm. A veranda stateroom, 11300 And then if you wanted the least expensive concierge room, it is a cool twenty-five grand Oof. on that inaugural cruise. The good news is, Jim, mm-hmm. I'm told the prices will drop by half for the second cruise. Oh, well, there so, you go. Okay. Just yeah. half a spleen, folks. I mean, come on. <laughs> you get to keep one of two kidneys, Jim. There you go. I mean, who, who can't justify that? <laughs> All right. And you've got some notes on this, right? Because this is the, yeah, the 25th yeah. anniversary of the maiden voyage. The, the very first sailing of the magic went out 25 years ago this July. And, and there has to be a Disney dish listener that was on board this thing. And I'd love to hear what they did to commemorate so a, that. I was, on, well, I was on in August. I was on the Dream in August. And they, mm-hmm. um, and they, they do recognize the, the anniversary. So oh, it's sort good. of like a fleet-wide thing. Yeah. Okay. It's very subtle, though. Cool, cool. But Disney, over the history of the cruise line, has always been mm-hmm. sort of refining, you know, taking the guest feedback and, and finessing it. I mean, for example, we were just talking about the fantasy and yeah. how the treasure is going to be replacing, potentially, or going on the same routes in the, the Caribbean. But when guests entered the fantasy, an earlier vis- version of the ship, they'd go into the atrium lobby, whereas yeah. folks who entered the Wish, they entered the Grand Hall, which the Imaginers had reconfigured the space to include a stage, which now, when you think about the holiday programming they do, whether yeah. it's the Halloween tree or Thanksgiving, or excuse me, uh, Christmas or thereabouts, they now can do a show in the space. And But at the same time, it's also recognizing that the cruise line has a crazy loyal base. In fact, I, I wanted to mm. ask, did you see that announcement just last week about how on Castaway Key, they're creating a space next to the post office on the island, which will honor folks, those folks who have sailed more 50 times or more? Yeah, that's a lot. That's I mean, even, a lot. even with uh, even with Floridian rates, you know, mm-hmm. which I get, that's a lot. I mean, number one, the, the minimum cruise is typically three days. So you're talking about almost half a year. Yeah, that's quite the commitment. That's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, what I was intrigued by is in watching that half hour long reveal of the Disney treasures, you know, it was uh, how much of the ship that's coming again, December of next year is the same, only different. I mean, for example, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like this, the Skipper Society, the jungle cruise themed lounge space, Mm -hmm. which will be located just off of the grand hall in the approximate position that the Bayou Lounge is located on the Wish. Right. Likewise, as part of the rotational dining offerings, the Wish has Arendelle a Frozen Dining Adventure, whereas the Treasure mm-hmm. is going to offer Plaza de Coco, which, of course, keys off of the 2017 Pixar film Coco. It looks like in place of the Star Wars Hyperspace Lounge, 
Disney's going to celebrate a much older IP, and that's 20,000 Leagues. Yeah, there was a lot of applause around the uh, the room when uh, when they showed that in the video. Yep, the, the Periscope Pub, which, by the way, <laughs> will have a giant squid woven into its decorative statement rug, which I don't think those words have been said in that order in the history of man. <laughs> I think you're the first person to ever use the phrase decorative squid. There we go, decorative squid. So, <laughs> all right. And of course, some of them are gimmies. I mean, for example, yeah. The Wish has its Vanellope Sweets and Treat Shop up on deck 11. Treasure's yeah. going to have Jumbo Sweets, which keys off of that elephant-owned and operated ice cream parlor we saw in uh, Disney's 2016 film, Zootopia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you notice where the Aqua Mouse on the Treasure is going to have the water roller coaster with a storyline but they're not doing what they did on The Wish. They are only going with one storyline. Yeah, so this is this is one of the big things that came mm-hmm. out with The Wish. It's that it's not just a water coaster suspended mm-hmm. above the ship and sticking out over the edges. There's mm-hmm. actually a storyline, like a real attraction. There is. In the Aquamass. Now, now, granted, it's all over in two and a half minutes, but mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One note they got back from folks who traveled on The Wish is this actually turned out to be a frustration because people because you wanted to see both and it takes so long that's it exactly so they decided with the treasure only one storyline uh the curse of the golden egg so it's not a question of oh you went on it on tuesday but you didn't do on wednesday you missed this so that's going away and the other thing worth noting is that as part of a rotational dining on the wish Mm -hmm. they have their worlds of marvel restaurant and they are going to be transferring the ant-man and the wasp dinner experience but they also alluded to the fact that there will be a second. Yeah, I saw this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the so, interesting thing, I'm hearing a, a breakfast with the characters. That Really? You think that'll yeah. be an upcharge or you think that'll be a... Uh, I don't know. But it's just the uh, sense of they're not getting the use out of the space they could on the way. And that's, so, the thing on a, yeah, that's the thing on a ship. You need to make use of all of the available space all of the time. Absolutely, absolutely. But but anyway, what was your take on what what sort of jumped out at you? Well, I love your theme of the same only different because when I was on the dream last month in out of Copenhagen, you know, it took me like three minutes to remember where everything was on the ship, and I like a lot of the spaces on the mm-hmm. dream, mm-hmm. and it was different when we went on the wish mm-hmm. because the wish is a completely different layout, I think, and I didn't know where anything was, and I think I've said on the show before, like yeah. I still don't know where the bars or the spa. Is yeah. on the wish because we didn't have time to, to find it. Oh, and did. what I like, what I like is the ability for Disney to say, like all of the entertainment is mm-hmm. always fun forward, appetite mm-hmm. aft. Right, that's the saying oh, for ships. I love that. Fun, okay, fun forward, appetite aft. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So all the dining stuffs in the back. So if you know that and you know the decks that they're on, you know I'm super happy to see different themes mm-hmm. of these things. As long as I don't have to, you know, walk up to deck eleven and only be told, oh, I'm sorry, it's you know deck six and aft. You've got to walk across the entire ship. So by keeping everything in the same area and changing up the theming, I think, yeah, to your point, that's a great guest satisfier. One final thing, and I cannot tell you whether this will be the name of the Global Dream, the the, the ship that... Yeah, the Global Dream, the next ship after this. I am so excited for that ship, Jim. Okay, well, I had a friend at Disney clue me into there's the Disney, Disney's Wish film coming out this November, mm-hmm. which is keys off of a wishing, a sentient wishing star that falls out of the sky and becomes a character. Mm-hmm. And the notion is that 
don't be surprised if one of the two ships that, that debuts between now and 25 and 26 is just literally called the Disney Star. Star. The Star. So The Star. Oh, Wish Upon a Star. I mean, there's some, there's there some we go. historical there we go. context of that. Okay, fair. I still think they're uh, they're not they're missing out on calling something adventure. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they, don't, no, you may you may not be able to comment on that. That's fine. <laughs> okay, watch the space, Len. Watch the space. Okay, so all right. Uh, also, this week I uh, I got to see the Journey of Water, inspired by Moana. Oh, and uh, so shout out to our friend Andrew for the cast member preview uh, slot and. Uh, I, uh, to Andrew's credit, I, mm-hmm. I test bombed him with this. Mm-hmm. So originally he was like, yeah, come on along. I got, I, you know, I've got up to four spots. Mm-hmm. And then at the last minute, I'm like, can I bring a bunch of friends? <laughs> and Andrew, Andrew handled it gracefully. So thank you, okay. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a walking trail in world nature. It's between spaceship earth and the seas. Um, I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. There's a ton of interactive elements. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of them are at knee height or below for kids. Oh, there's okay. water curtains, there's jumping water, there's misters, there's splash pads, pretty mm-hmm. much any way you could show off water and make it interactive. Mm-hmm. It's in there. And for those of you who don't want to get wet, mm-hmm. uh, there's a dry path option as well. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. But, but four areas, like um, one of them is rain and they've got a water harp area. Mm-hmm. So imagine like little um, streams of water where if you run your hands through it, Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're playing individual uh, strings on a harp. Hmm. Okay. Very clever. They've got mm-hmm. a lake area. They've got a wetlands. It takes about 15 or 20 minutes to get through. And capacity is only 151 people at a time. So the max throughput at 10 minutes mm-hmm. is about 900 people. So it's going to be slow to get through. But a couple of interesting things. Um, okay. There are bathrooms inside the attraction if you want to pack a change of clothes for your little ones. Mm-hmm. Also, the um, the thing that I realized about a third of the way into it was every single photo op has something glorious in the background. Like you've seen the, um, the mountain range, right? Which is, what is that? Tapiti? Is that the, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who's, the, who's the mountain range? Okay. But you can also get spaceship earth in the background and spaceship earth looms. It takes up basically the entire backfield of vision in your photo op. It's just fantastic. Whoever, Whoever designed the layout of this, you know, mm. with keeping in mind the background options that you have, just fantastic job with the views. That's clever. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Overall, I 100% loved it. I think mm. it is a fabulous addition mm. to Epcot. It kind of harkens back to old school Epcot, not only in the educational aspect, but but Jim, I mean, I think you would agree. We don't get enough water with laminar flow in theme parks anymore, you know, like, like the, the jumping fountains and stuff, yeah. you know, we, we don't see it. And it's a chance to, to educate, educate kids on, on how it all works. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so it's there. Um, also Jim, just before mm-hmm. we started recording, Disney announced mm-hmm. passholder previews. Oh, good. Uh, good. And okay. those happen September 24th to the 29th mm-hmm. and then October 1st to October 4th. And I had, I had thought October 1st was the grand opening, mm-hmm. but apparently that's going to be later in October now. I think it's, the very thing you mentioned about relatively low capacity, slow load, yeah. and when you factor in how many annual pass holders there are in Central Florida, I mean, you know, you got to yeah. make accommodations. Yeah, you got to do it. Yeah. And then um, the interesting thing will be after it officially opens, I mean, there's definitely going to be a, a hype period mm-hmm. where, you know, everyone wants to see it and there might be a line, but I don't think this, is th- this thing is designed to have an ongoing queue. So eventually, you know, a couple mm. months from now, you'll be able to walk through it and experience it as sort of a nice, you know, interactive play feature 
not as an attraction. So I mean, and certainly when uh, when the rest of world celebration, world nature, and you know, inshallah, Jim, inshallah. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. I really okay. thought it was. I really thought it was great. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Also, I did my first ever Halloween horror nights at Universal Orlando last Saturday. Wow. So, oh my god. So okay. uh, I want to thank uh, our friends Robin, Mike, and their entire mm. group for inviting me along. They are awesome people. I had a blast the entire time. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are ten houses. I'd never seen one before. I didn't know what to expect, and so. Rob and Mike pushed me to the front of our group <laughs> to mm. go through the first one. <laughs> have you done these before, Jim? I have, and I love the craft of them. That's it, yeah. Over the 20, 30 years I've been going to these things, just w- watching how Universal gets that much more ambitious and you yeah. know uh, folds that much more stagecraft into these things. Well, that's the thing. You, you, know, you mentioned that, and that mm. is like the key selling point i think of all of these houses like you think it's just you're going to walk through a corn maze and people are going to jump out and scare you but these things are built in sound stages a couple of them are two stories with people oh. running around the second floor yeah. and and they tell like the entire story mm-hmm. just in the detail without a uh, an audio narrative yeah and yeah. that is exceptionally difficult to do well, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but these guys do it in the, um, and of course, you know, the thing that's in common mm-hmm. in all of the houses is that at various points, people jump out and scare you. Mm-hmm. They leap, leap out of what is known as a boo hole. A boo hole. Yeah. That was yeah. literally what I was told by one of the designers. Yeah. Here's our boo hole. And it's like, okay. Yeah. And that, so, that doesn't sound weird at all. So that's no, great. Not at all. So. The other interesting thing that I learned was that the performers have a set of um, like foot pedals or switches yes. that they can step on to yep. cue their audio. Mm-hmm. And the thing about that is they are so good mm-hmm. at timing the little bit of delay that you get from when you push the pedal to where you scare people. Mm-hmm. Like they have that cue down pat. Mm-hmm. And the, the performers do an excellent job at surprising guests like there's sometimes where you you can avoid it right you see the person in front of you get scared you know there's someone there oh yeah but by and large everyone in your group Mm -hmm. is going to be absolutely terrified at some point in every house yeah yeah so 10 houses um Mm -hmm. we did stranger things curse of vecna Mm -hmm. that was great Mm -hmm. um did the exorcist house and the exorcist is the movie where I watched it and then didn't sleep that night. Like, like all of us kids decided, like, you know what the best thing to do for us tonight? Sleep in the bathroom. Like, we're going to do that yeah. tonight, and it's not going to be weird. Okay. Um, okay. The Last of Us, which is based on the video game and the TV series. Mm-hmm. Universal Monsters Unmasked was a hoot. Mm-hmm. And just wait to see what they've got in store for us at Epic Universe down the street. Oh, yeah. Incredible. Incredible. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a recurring character called... Um, Dr. Oddfellow, mm-hmm. and we got a circus tent called Dr. Oddfellow's Twisted Origins. And Jim, clowns, circus tent, at night, creepy things, like absolutely terrifying. And one of, my, one of the highlights, it was great. Okay. They, did a, uh, they did a Yeti campground, mm-hmm. like, you know, like Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. And it was so detailed, Jim. Not mm-hmm. only did they have like trees in the forest and stuff, they had water features indoors. And the thing I loved about this this house was its official name was Yeti or Not, Here They Come. <laughs> love 10 that out name. of 10 for naming, naming conventions. Uh, yeah. I love that name. Love that name. They did, um, they did a house called The Darkest Deal, which is a riff on the story of guitarist Robert Johnson, who supposedly sold his soul. 
I actually got to see a piece of video that somebody shot in the house of the, the Robert Johnson character performing yeah. on stage and the moment sort of the... the, the yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 I know what you're talking about with his heart, uh, with his soul being ripped out of his body. Yeah, it's like... Amazing oh. to see in person. Just, like oh you actually my. sit there and think for a second, like, I would love to see that again, but I know I can't stand here and do it. Yeah, yeah. It was that good. Yeah, it <laughs> wow. was great. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the uh, Blood Moon Dark Offerings, which mm. I vaguely remember because it was late. Okay. And then the two houses we didn't do were um, Chucky and mm. Dueling Dragons. Mm. But we also did the Scare Zones. And the thing mm. I love about the Scare Zones is it's it's in the middle of the park. Like you just walk through different areas. Oh, yeah. And there are character actors there acting like zombies and running around. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the one that I loved was um, Vamp 69, Summer of Blood. It's basically Woodstock gone wrong. Now, this is staged in the New York Street area of the park, right? right? Yeah, yeah. And that's a thing that impressed the hell out of me last year. I mean, they did a, a faux Thanksgiving parade that had gone <laughs> off <laughs> the road. A parade gone bad, yeah, yeah. This is three solid blocks of performers and sets and lights. You have no choice. You have to pass through this space. Yeah. And it goes on and on. And there's so many characters. It's plus they're, they're playing like, I mean, I'm old enough to, uh, it's more my parents' music than my music than 1969. Yep. But I, I know all the songs from listening to my parents play them. So we, we know all the music. It's groovy. The, uh, the lighting effects are excellent. Yeah, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And, it is, and shout it out is. to all the performers who do this. You guys, know, you guys bring it every night and it is, yeah. it is just amazing. It is no, the, fantastic. The, the scare actors at Universal yeah. Orlando are, are just top notch. It was funny because, you know, we're going through, you know, the houses and everything. And after like the third or fourth one, I was already like, well, when we do this again next year, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like we're, you know, this is how we're going to attack this, you know, there next year. So, so a couple of quick tips if you guys are um, if mm-hmm. you guys are thinking about going this year, one hundred percent you should book a hotel room on site so that mm-hmm. you can walk back and forth. Okay. I was there well past midnight. I didn't drink. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, I, I had one drink, but I Ubered, so that was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I waited about a month before the event and then started looking for hotel rooms. And by then, mm-hmm. everything was five hundred dollars a night. Yeah. But uh, according to my friend Scott Sanders from the Disney Cruise Line blog, mm-hmm. if you had booked in March, it would have been less than half that. So Scott's smarter than I am. Also, um, absolutely get the express passes to see the houses. Mm-hmm. Many of the lines to get into the houses are 60 to 90 minutes, mm-hmm. but they're 20 minutes or less with the express pass. The express pass, I think, costs twice as much as actual admission, mm-hmm. but you can see all the houses in one night with the express pass, and I think it's totally worth it. And just a, a quick side note here, it's, they also offer periodically over the course of the event some lights on tours, and if you want to see the craft, of how yeah. these things are put together. Take advantage of these folks. When you see them with the lights on and, and the art and the craft that went how into it. How it's all it, done, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, it, it, yeah, very, my, my friends, uh, Rob and Mike and their group, they um, <laughs> they all did one. I think they did the six house tour. There we and go. they were just, you know, every time we were going through it, they're like, here's some fun facts about this house. And it really mm-hmm. made the whole thing better. So, yeah, mm-hmm. thanks, uh, thanks everybody for making that happen. It was great. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool. And then the night before that, Jim, I did Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. I've been busy the last, oh, <laughs> last week. I- God, okay. <laughs> and so here's a fun fact, Jim. Mm-hmm. The bag that they give you to hold the candy holds mm-hmm. four pounds oh, of okay. candy. And, and mm-hmm. if you, I, like, I don't think you should go into the party and start collecting candy because you'd, then you'd have to carry around four pounds of candy or eat four pounds of candy during mm-hmm. the evening. So do it, you know, like as one of your last things. It mm-hmm. takes about an hour to do all of the candy spots. And Jim, as, as we were doing this, like, I think we started our last one mm-hmm. at a, around 11 p.m. because they stopped 
handing out candy at midnight, parks up until one. But during that last hour, Jim, they, the cast members were left with a difficult decision. Mm -hmm. It's, do I give this dude in front of me all the candy in this bucket? Or do I haul this barrel full of candy backstage with me again? (laughs) Not surprisingly, Jim, no one wants to haul a bucket of candy back. So we filled up a four pound bag of candy with one loop. Oh. around the Magic Kingdom. And there were four of us. Mm-hmm. And we did it twice, which means we had 32 pounds of candy at the end of the evening. And Chrissy was donating it to her, uh, to Gigi's school. I went with my okay. sister and my niece, so that's Good. fine. But okay, a couple of other tips. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not going to get there like at 3 o'clock to get in at 4, mm-hmm. the Magic Kingdom will hold you in an in a outdoor, non-shaded area mm-hmm. until 4 o'clock. So if you don't want to stand in the sun for an hour mm-hmm. to get in right at 4 o'clock, Go at 4.30. The line's almost non-existent. Okay. Good enough. The, by far, the most popular character greeting is Jack and Sally. Because yeah. they're super rare characters. Guess how long the wait was? I've actually been tracking this since they started in August. And it's like, mm. back then it was three and a half, four hours, right? Yeah, four hours. Four hours. <laughs> that would be the second, second or third longest wait I've ever had in a theme park. And I didn't do it. If one goes to the summer house over at Epcot to mm-hmm. meet with uh, Anna and Elsa, there are several opportunities to see Anna and Elsa once you enter that building. And I, yeah, I there's one Jack and Sally. Yeah, I think it's time to revisit that idea. I mean, if you think about what people pay to attend yeah. Mickey's Fair. Not So Scary and it, to commit, again, don't get me wrong, Nightmare fans are dedicated. So they would be happy to spend that time in line. But honestly, if Jack and Sally had a few friends, that line could move that much more faster. And, you know, a lot more people could be satisfied with their overall Mickey's experience. Just putting that out there, okay? That's a great point. And, and, you know, to commit four hours in a Mm -hmm. seven-hour event to Mm -hmm. one set of uh, character greetings is a lot. The other interesting thing I heard is that for the Seven Dwarves, Mm -hmm. there's only one set of costumes for the Seven Dwarves. So when they go off stage for a break, they don't have a replacement. And the interesting thing about that is, like, you and I, Jim, we both immediately go to, like, the operational aspects of Mm -hmm. what what that is. Like, what's the implication of having only seven dwarf costumes and my but this time i didn't because mm-hmm. it was it had rained all day and it was like 90 i think it was 96 percent humidity i know it was and i think it was 85 degrees and my first question was what does that costume smell like at the end of the night that was i i had ditched all of the line questions all of the mm-hmm. timing questions i was like yeah what's yep. that what is the inside of goofy's costume mm-hmm. or not goofy but uh uh you know happy smell like at the end of the night anyway Um, I will say this. The Mm -hmm. least busy Mm -hmm. character greeting we found was in Adventureland by Mm -hmm. Aloha Isle. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's got Jafar as one character greeting and then a pair of either Genie and Jasmine or Aladdin and Abu. And those were really easy to get into, like a two-minute wait. Absolutely fine. Okay. And then the other cool characters were Mm -hmm. Drusilla and Anastasia. Uh, Oh. And they're roaming around the park and making fun of princesses. (laughs) And kids that are dressed up. <laughs> oh. Like, like I'm, I'm pretty sure that cast members paid to do mm-hmm. that. Because we all know that like some cast members have really long, really hard days. 
You and know. I think some of them are like, you know what? I'll give you 50 bucks to take this shift as Dr- Drizilla. Let me <laughs> let me be Drizilla. Here's 50 bucks. I need to do this now. <laughs> no, 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 no. That's free therapy right there, Len. Right exactly. there. Exactly. You know what? <laughs> uh, this one's on me, man. I'll, I'll do this for free. Okay, cool. Also, we, uh, we caught the first parade. And the interesting mm. thing about that was we happened to be at Tony's when it launched in Frontierland. And even though... The parade is super, super popular. We managed to get a spot right in front of Tony's to see the entire thing. So if, you, if you're if you running late and you mm. happen to be in a position where you can walk down Main Street mm. to get to Tony's, there are still good viewing spots there even after the parade starts. So that was great. Mm. Okay. All right. There's a little bit longer uh, news segment than we're used to, but uh, but thank you guys for putting up with us. We do have a couple of surveys and listener questions. Mm-hmm. Let's go through them real quick, Jim. So okay. our friend Becky Gandolin uh, sent in this Disney survey question. After an Epcot visit this week, and the mm-hmm. question was, which of the following statements best describes your preference for riding an attraction such as Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind? And the two options are, I prefer the virtual queue system with the understanding that virtual queue is only available through the app. And if my boarding group is called, I'll have to receive a designated return time to ride. I may not be able to get a spot because uh, boarding groups are limited and I will not have the ability to choose the specific time to ride the attraction. Or would you prefer the traditional standby queue system with the understanding that you may have to wait two plus hours in line and the majority of the line might be outdoors? Ooh. I know. Interesting, right? Now, mind you, they still look at the way they describe the outdoor queue experience. You know, the the, the majority of the line outside may in a two-hour-plus line. But the yeah. whole notion of, okay, let's take the temperature of the room here. You know, let's get a sense of what's easy for us operationally versus what people you know, who are coming to the parks actually want. Because it, it goes back to, remember when we were talking about the old FastPass system mm-hmm. where FastPasses would run out for certain attractions. Mm-hmm. And guest relations in the Magic Kingdom would always have a difficult time saying, Yes, I know you spent $20,000 to stay at the Grand Floridian for a week, but I'm very sorry you can't get on Big Thunder Mountain without waiting in line, right? And so I think this is sort of a way to balance out mm-hmm. the needs of you know people who are spending a ton of money on a once-in-a-lifetime trip yep. and the convenience of that. Because again, if you're, you know, if you're staying, it's a once-in-a-lifetime trip, you do not want to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning oh, no, to, no to try and join a virtual queue, right? And, and I know there are different times throughout the day, but the earlier you can do it, the better, right? Mm-hmm. And the other thing, Jim, is I think this ties into the question we talked about last week about which mountains in the Magic Kingdom are you reviewing. Because remember, one of them was Tron, yeah. and it's a virtual queue as well. So I think the answer of those two questions might be illustrative, as the kids say. Love to hear the results of those particular surveys. And, and more to the point, why they put these questions out there at this time. All right. And we've got uh, time for uh, two listener questions. Mm-hmm. One is from David, and he's actually got three quick ones, Jim, that I want your mm-hmm. opinion on. We're going to go through them. First question, do you think it's likely that both Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach will return to being open simultaneously in 2024? Hmm. The operational part of me says no. Yeah. I know it's strange to say this, but we are still marching back from the pandemic, folks. I mean, I realize the parks have been reopened since late summer of 2020, but if we're talking about staffing, we're talking about bodies to actually run things, we are still not back. I believe it, yeah. And I think, you know, demand is still very soft Mm -hmm. in Walt Disney World, and we're going to talk about how soft it is in about two minutes. So Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think right now Typhoon Lagoon and Blizzard Beach will be open at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, Second question from David. 
I've heard a rumor that the Main Street Electrical Parade might return to Walt Disney World in 2024 also. Jim, I, mm. I have a thought that could be summarized in one sentence, but go ahead. No, 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 no. You first. My sentence is this. For the love of God, please let it go. I don't know if you've seen any of the footage for the new version of Main Street Electrical Parade Dreamlights that's been done for Tokyo, where they revisited a lot of the floats with the classic floats with better animation and better you know, lighting technique and that sort of thing. And Look, if Disney were to spend the money to create a new stateside edition mm. of this thing, rather than bringing back the very same parade, and, and mind you, this isn't the original. This is the version that, that came into the parks after America on Parade in 76, you know, after that shut down. So this is, right. this is a parade from 1977 that looks every single one of those years old. I mean, I just want to point out that I think The Who started doing their farewell concert tour in <laughs> 1978. Okay. And I love Main Street Electrical Parade. I think mm -hmm. Baroque Hoedown is a great piece of music, and it mm -hmm. stands by its own. Mm -hmm. We do not keep need to keep bringing this thing back. Anyway, uh, last question from David. Mm -hmm. Given that Walt Disney World doesn't have any flagship attractions opening until mm -hmm. Tiana's Bayou Adventure mm -hmm. in late 2024, do you think Walt Disney World may offer the aforementioned Main Street Electrical Parade to draw people in the first half of the year. And David, I mentioned this last one because I don't think they will, and that's mm -hmm. why Disney just released another new deep discount mm -hmm. that runs from like basically now through March of 2024. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this one, Jim? I'm just looking at the numbers here now because you provided so, and dear Lord... So it's a dining incentive mm -hmm. that uh, runs from yeah, through through March. You can get up to two hundred dollars per night mm -hmm. when you book a minimum four night stay for mm -hmm. most nights through March fifth, twenty twenty four. So uh, you would get two hundred dollars a night on a gift card mm -hmm. if you stayed at a deluxe resort. And Jim, just to quantify that, two hundred dollars mm -hmm. for you. Animal Kingdom Lodge jumbo rooms mm -hmm. are as low as four hundred eighty seven dollars a night during this period. So that would be. $287 a night wow. to stay at Jumbo's. That's that's all tax included. That's the out-the-door number. Okay. Also, you get $120 a night if you stay at a moderate. Mm -hmm. And Coronado Springs rack rates mm -hmm. for next year are $260 a night, as low as that in January. So you're talking about $140 a night to stay at Coronado. But the best deal, Jim, <laughs> mm -hmm. you get $60 a night to stay at Values and All-Star Movies, which has renovated rooms, right? It's mm -hmm. actually not bad, right? Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. All-Star Movies rooms are as little as $133 a night with tax in January. So that brings the rate at movies down to $77 a night. Oh, my God. When was the last time you could stay at All-Star Movies for $77 a night? It, you know, it's, it's, it was very rare. We've seen... You've seen it sporadically over the last few years, but you know when you consider like as about a decade ago, the deepest discounts were like fifty eight dollars. When you consider inflation and stuff, mm. like that's a that's a good deal, that's and good and it's deal. actually a good it's objectively a good hotel room. Mm -hmm. And for seventy seven dollars, mm -hmm. there's no reason for you to stay off site. No, 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 no. I mean, you could get similar pricing out on I Drive, but when you consider but why? The yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, wow. you don't get the extra magic. You don't get the early theme park entry. You don't mm -hmm. get the transportation. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. all. Um, one quick tip if you are booking this and you're booking two rooms, you'll want to make two separate reservations and then you'll get two separate gift cards. But if you make them, if you reserve two rooms with one reservation, you only get one promo card. So break those up into two separate reservations to maximize your discount. Got it. 
All right. Last thing, uh, on last week's show, I answered an email from Sean mm-hmm. about how to see Tron and Rise of the Resistance on the same day. And my advice was to head to Tron first thing mm-hmm. and then hop over to studios to see you know Rise. Mm-hmm. And uh, listener Juliana pointed out that that implies two things. Mm-hmm. One, a relaxation of park hopping rules and or Tron having a standby queue option. And Juliana asked for clarification. So mm-hmm. just to be clear, I think the odds are better than 50-50. We will uh, not have a... 2 p.m. park hopping rule in January of 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, it serves no purpose, and it's a huge guest dissatisfier. And it should have been more clear about booking an early virtual queue for Tron, or I think I said purchase an individual lightning lane instead and mm-hmm. get a, a return time as soon as possible. So that's how to do that, and that, that backs you up either way. So thanks for sending that in, okay. uh, Juliana. And then, Sean, if you have any questions, just email me. I'd love to hear if he actually pulls it off, he and his friend. All right, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us, about the history of Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, which is celebrating its 16th birthday this year. Jim and I are still kicking ourselves for missing last year's quinceanera, so <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. I like the idea of Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique because I was over at Springs a couple weeks ago, and I realized that that one still wasn't open. Yeah. In fact, I just checked this morning, and as of... July 19th, somebody had reached out to uh, Plan Disney and was asking about both the Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique at Disney Springs as well as the one that had been built at the Grand Flow. And why right. the one in the park has been open since I want to say uh, the, the one at the Magic Kingdom we're talking about uh, since August of 2022, these two have remained dark. But again, if we're going to talk about Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, we have to talk first about the Disney Princess brand, which as of today is a $4 billion a year business for the wow. Walt Disney Company. It's basically what, uh, what Disney paid for Star Wars. <laughs> there you go. There we go. <laughs> Great. All on the back of Ariel and Belle and Jasmine. All right. Anyway, Andrew Mooney, who had just been named the chairman of Disney Consumer Products back in December of 1999. And as you do, when you take on a job at Disney, you're expected to go on a familiarization tour. You get up to speed about the various divisions of the company. And in this case, Andy ended up attending a Disney on Ice show in Phoenix, Arizona. This was Mm. just like three months after he was on the job. And by the way, just in case you're wondering, it was the 75 years of Disney magic edition that he saw. So he's standing outside the building. And he watches, prior to the show getting underway, all of these little girls in Phoenix arriving at the ice arena dressed as their favorite Disney princess. Yeah, and let me just say, if you're a small child Mm -hmm. and you're willing to put on a polyester full-length gown in Phoenix, you are dedicated. Yeah. But this is the thing. Andrew's looking at this, and this is a homegrown phenomena. And, hmm. you know, some of these little kids are wearing a Halloween costume. Some of these are make, wearing outfits that their mom sewed for them. But it's just sort of like they love all of the Disney princesses. And he goes yeah. back to Disney and it's like, look, 
I know what we've been doing in the past, which is each time we bring a movie out, we celebrate that individual princess, but they stay in their silo. You know, Belle's in the Beauty and the Beast silo, Ariel's in the Little Mermaid silo, Briar Rose is in the Sleeping Beauty silo. Oh, really? So yeah. there, there, was, there wasn't, to this point, there wasn't mixing of the princesses? No, not at all. Oh, and, okay. And th all right. this was one of these things where it's like, let's group these ladies together and see what happens. And let's make them a brand. Now, mind you, Walt's own nephew, Roy E. Disney, came out really strongly against this idea. In fact, the quote at the time when it came to turning the Disney princesses into a brand, Roy E. was, was quoted as saying, brands are for cattle. No. All right, Roy. Okay. okay. But by 2001, Andrew, very persuasive. So the very first... Disney princess merch begins to hit, you know, uh, out in the world. And, and to give you some idea, Len, how few Disney princesses they were at this time, they actually, in order to fill out the group, they fold in in Tinkerbell. Eh, she, 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 sure. she, you queen of the fairies, it's, whatever. It's, it's, you know what? It's the United Colors of Benetton of princesses, whatever. <laughs> there we go. There we go. All right. So that first year, Len, just on this, this handful of merchandise they could sort of cobble together, they did $300 million worth of business. So they're basically doubling every year, pretty close to it. Oh, God, yeah. By 2006, they are now doing $3 billion a year, which, again, is not going unnoticed by, by other folks in the company, especially the folks in the parks. I mean, it'd be hard to ignore when you're trying to figure out you know, where to store all of that money, right? Like, yeah, it's, this conference room is full of hundreds. Do you guys want to meet somewhere else? Like, there okay. you go. I, you know, right. But the folks at the park circled back to Andrew's original observation of those little girls in Phoenix arriving at that ice arena already dressed because they wanted to be seen by their favorite Disney princess in that ice show wearing their outfit. Oh, I love this because you don't just sell them the outfit. You sell them the prep as well. Oh, that's it. Exactly. And it was genius. Just, and, and the whole notion is, well, where else do little girls go to see princesses? And well, it's the Disney parks. Hmm. And so let's do a trial balloon here. Let, let's see hmm. what happens. So they find a lesser used corner of the World of Disney store at what was then known as the marketplace at Downtown Disney. I remember this happening. Remember how few chairs there were in there? I want to say three. I mean, it was like, it was like in a weird sort of way, they basically took the exact same footprint of the barber shop on Main Street. And it's like, okay, we'll use that footprint for a Disney princess makeover experience. I remember seeing it at one point and they were recruiting you, you know, when, when, when you showed up for it, you would stand in the sun. Oh yeah. Outside of world of Disney to go in. It was, it was very casual. Like you could see it was a shoestring yep, type of yep. test, but it was, yeah. All right, yeah. Go ahead. Well, again, they, they, they announced it in February as the, in fact, this is the original description uh, they put out uh, ahead of the, the April 6th opening in 2006. It's like, Fairy Godmothers in Training will transform guests, give them the royal treatment by using shimmering makeup, hairstyling, and nail polish. Prices will range in... <laughs> you want a little bit of nostalgia. All right. The lowest level package was $35. Mm -hmm. That got you the hair and the makeup. <laughs> and, and the top, the absolute top package at that point, $175. You got hair, makeup, nails, plus a choice of a Disney princess costume 
accessories and a souvenir photo. I don't even know what the highest price is now because I'm, I'm literally afraid to ask. Like, it would offend oh, my sense of Len, let me tell you <laughs> about the Princess Signature Dress collection that's now, it starts at $450. You get the hairstyling, you get the makeup, you get the face gems, a princess mm. sash, but you also get a princess gown uh, made with heirloom quality fabrics, a high quality tiara with its own box, and then an organza garment bag and satin hanger to put all of your swag in. And, and again, okay. that's kind of a nice touch. Okay. starting at four fifty. All right, that's okay. Yeah, I can I can kind of see my way to that. That's fine. Okay, so anyway, uh, back to uh, February 2006. They caution folks, walk-ins are welcome, but reservations are strongly recommended. Because this isn't like, you're not like in and out. This is like going to a salon for multiple hours, right? That's it, exactly. And what they found out the hard way is the turn and churn, so to speak, of yeah. putting the little girl and and doing all of this and then picking her outfit and it was slower than expected, but it made so much money. More to the point, they were booking out reservations 180 days out land. People would walk in and, you know, ask for a reservation and they'd laugh at them. <laughs> oh, sir. First invented time machine. <laughs> yeah, there we go. But again, this opens April of 2006 and Disney immediately realizes they've struck gold. So they aggressively get into the bippity-boppity boutique business. Yeah. First in-park edition, opening of the Magic Kingdom inside of Cinderella Castle. I want to say it replaced the heraldry shop that had been there since 71. Yeah. Opens just 17 months after the original Downtown Disney location. So that's September of 2007. A Japanese edition of the Bippity Bopidoo Boutique opens at the Tokyo Disney Hotel. 10 months after that, July of 2008. Disneyland out in Anaheim gets its own Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique up and running 10 months after that, April 2009. Mm -hmm. And then just one month after that, May of 2009, we get our second international location. And again, that's in the Hong Kong Disneyland Hotel. The thing I love about this rollout, Jim, is mm -hmm. that it's happening in the middle of the global financial crisis, right? That's it, exactly. At a time where, what, what, I mean, yeah, like, I mean, you remember, like, if you had, if, if for everyone had an office job yeah. during that time, it was basically a year of sitting around thinking, am I going to be employed 20 minutes from now? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that people were still willing to spend the money on this tells you what kind of a unique experience it was. It was. And in fact, yeah. but the, the moment that really indicated what something extraordinary was going on here is that this line of business was making so much money hand over fist that Harrods, that story destination retail establishment, actually reaches out to Disney and offers their flagship store in London as the possible home, as the very first Bippity Boppity Boutique to be built outside of a Disney theme park or away from one of their resorts. I mean, how do you, how do you say no? How do you say no? But you want to talk about, I, I don't know if this is just genius or a, a lucky timing, but Len, the Harrods version of Bippity Boppity Boutique opens on November 25th, 2013, three <sighs> days <laughs> after Frozen opens. We want to talk about a ti great a time Andrew to be is living a charmed life. <laughs> the guy that came up with this idea. <laughs> oh, all right. All right. So anyway, from the Harrods store installation on back, all of these Bibbidi Bobby boutiques had been uh, shoehorned into pre-existing structures. The mm -hmm. first ever purpose-built, completely brand new version of this retail venue opened as a key feature 
of the Enchanted Storybook Castle at Shanghai Disneyland in, in June of 2016. Again, same thing. Hand over fist. I mean, it wasn't a revenue stream. It was a revenue river. Which brings us to an interesting little side note in the story. Do you remember when this was just, I want to say, within three years of the initial launch of Bippity Boppity Boutique? And Disney immediately began to think, well, could we do something similar for boys? So, Oh, this is, uh, yeah, this is also in the wake of the launch of Pirates of the Caribbean. There we go. So we got the yeah, Pirates yeah. League. In the exit area, the Mercado, is is that what the, the, the shopping area there? At yeah, the, the little plaza. Yeah, yeah the little plaza uh, Caribbean Plaza. That opened in July of 2009 and was literally the proof of concept for a, a bippity-boppity boutique for boys. And there were parks and resorts around the world where we were waiting for this thing to catch fire. And the, the thing is, it did okay. Just didn't do bibbity poppity boutique level business. I mean, for for a couple of reasons, right? If you had boys and girls in your party, mm-hmm. and you had to, you either had to get reservations at the exact same time, which means you had oh, to split up, or you had I, to take twice as long. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. No, that yeah. that that's an excellent point. I think the other thing is, you know, that sometimes we'd go a number of years between pirates movies. Which, by the way, did you see that? Disney just bought a script for a brand new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. No, sweet. Yeah, so awesome. uh, we may be a couple of years out from a revival in that franchise if, if the actors or writers strike ever ends. Anyway, Pirate League limps along for a few years, finally closes in July of 2020, and, and that was largely because of COVID. Back to uh, the company as they begin to refine and finesse the Bibbidi-Boppidi boutique brand. Sensing that they do far better business if the boutique were located inside the park, rather out yeah. uh, the Hong Kong Disneyland Hotel. Well, that's what management does there. They open a Bibbidi Bobby Boutique in that park's storybook shop in the Fantasy Lex section of that theme park, July of 2019. But mm-hmm. stateside, sensing you know the moneyed folks who who typically stay at the Grand Floridian Resort and Spa was felt a Bibbidi Boppity Boutique that was built there, right inside of that Walt yeah. Disney World Hotel. That would do well as well. So they they literally rip out the Ivy Trellis Salon, a, a venue. I remember for, this. Yeah, I mean yeah. the the thing is though the uh, the spa has some salon services. It does. So it was kind it of a duplication of effort. I get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but again, remember, you know, one for adults and now another for kids. But the finances r- remarkably improved for that location. And, and by the way, that opened just one month after. The Hong Kong Disneyland Shop. Anyway, uh, three years prior to this, the original Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique, uh, which remember opened uh, April 2006, moves yeah. out of its cramped quarters in the, the world of Disney Store and moves across the way in what's now known as Disney Springs. It, it opens in a location adjacent to Once Upon a Toy in June of 2016. And yeah, it's, it's still in the marketplace. It is. It is. Yeah, yeah. And all was fine and dandy until the pandemic broke out in March of 2020. Yeah. And yeah. the Walt Disney World Resort begins to reopen in the early summer of that same year. But the Bippity Boppity Boutique definitely, you know, to remember, it's a very high touch. I mean, people are literally in your face putting things on your face. Yeah. That had trouble recovering from COVID. Uh, the, now, as we mentioned, top of the show, uh, the one in the Magic Kingdom reopened in, in August of, of 2022 and does crazy lucrative business. And the Disneyland version just reopened like a week ago, Land, uh, August 25th. 
But as for the location we just talked about and the Grand Floridian Resort and Spa, likewise, the, the location at, at Disney Springs adjacent to the Once Upon a Toy, still closed. I'm told mm. some of that is staffing and some of that Disney is just a touch concerned about this resurgence in COVID. Right. Uh, number of states are, are bringing back masks for kids and, and that sort yeah. of thing. I'd also like to point out that not for nothing, Jim, but if mm-hmm. you really want to go to Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique and the only location is in a theme park, mm-hmm. you're buying a ticket to get in as well. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, the, the, I'm just the, saying it works out no, sometimes no, like that. Did, you know? No, you're, you're not wrong. It's, it, it's you know, getting two bites of the same apple, so to speak. Exactly. One final note here. The Bibbidi Bobbidi Boutique was back in the news in May of this, this past year because video began to circulate online of a fairy godmother apprentice who is a male cast member who is handling uh, the makeovers there. And to bring this back to what Len was just talking about, about how much he enjoyed seeing Anastasia and Drusilla making fun oh, of, of kids dressed. I, I know where Disney. you're going with this. Go ahead. Go ahead. You can go back and watch actual footage from the 1980s of the, <laughs> the, the, the Vicky's Very Merry and Mickey's Get Her Not So Scary of two guys. I mean, and they are so obviously gentlemen in drag playing yeah. Anastasia and Drusilla as and knockdown characters. Funny? No, no nobody oh is funnier. God. And it's like. So again, if if you're upset about a fairy godmother apprentice, I have I got a story for you guys. So, but yeah. but anyway, that's oh. that's an overview of the history of the Bibbidi Bobbidi boutiques, and here's hoping that we do have some good news about the the Grand Flow location and the the one at the Disney Springs soon, because again, there's a lot of little girls who still you know, and and what a point you know. I, there's, they do have a package, you know, mm. if, if your, your son, you know, wants to get the treatment as well, it, it, they, they do that as well. There we yeah. go. And Jim, remind me, are there Bibbidi-Bobbidi boutiques on Disney Cruise Line as well? I want to say I yes. thought the Dream had one when I was on there. It was closed, I think, when I was, yeah. when I was there. Or it was there. I can't remember now. I got to go back and look. That's an interesting side note on, on the story because I know I, I read about them announcing that this would be offered on one of the ships. I just wonder, right. did it continue or was it a one-time experiment? I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll dig down on that and I'll, I'll have some info for you for the next show. Awesome. Thanks very much. Cool. Good, good job on this. This was a lot of fun. No, no, you know, again, I'm just <laughs> always fascinated by this aspect of the park. More to the point, you know, I'm always impressed when I see these little girls in the Florida heat, you yeah. know, dressed to the nines. Gamely going along. Like, oh, yeah. You're tougher yeah. than me, kid. You're tougher the, than me. You, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, we're going to check in on how Alani, Disney's best resort, has recovered from the pandemic with people who were there. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be slow roasting the meats at the City Club of Baton Rouge's Prime Rib Dinner Special this Saturday, September 16th, 2023, starting at 6 p.m. at the City Club on North Boulevard in beautiful downtown Baton Rouge, Louisiana. While Aaron's doing that, please go on to iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.